Begin transmission. Transmission. The Frontline Gaming Network presents Art of War. Strategy and tactics. Discussions with the best players on the planet. The Frontline Gaming Network presenting Art of War with Nick Nanavati and John Damaris. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Art of War podcast, and we're proud to say we're back. We're back to our normal format. Joining us this week is none other than reigning ITC champion Richard Siegler to talk about uh, his maybe third favorite faction, Tau. <laughs> Richard, how are you? Pretty good, John. Thanks so much for having me again. It's a pleasure to be back. Perfect. And joining me as always is the one and only Nick Nanavati, who doesn't really need an introduction, but I'm going to introduce him anyway because he likes to have his ego stroked. Uh, Nick is one of the best players in 40k history, and he's going to help us break down the discussion where, like I said, we're back. We're back to discussing lists. We're going to talk about a Tau list this week, and I'm super excited to talk about it because it's got a very special model that I'm not going to spoil right now. Um, and and we're going to get deep. Uh, so as always, just as a reminder, since it's been a while since we've done one of these, our first discussion will be based around the strategy of the list. So you can think about it as a macro discussion about what's in the list, why it's in the list, and what the overall strategy is. And then if you're a patron, you can join us for episode two where we get into the tactics, which is the nitty-gritty, dirty details of how you play the list in specific matchups and specific scenarios. Okay, Nick, why don't you go ahead and introduce Richard and get us started. Where do I even begin? All right, so for those of you who live under a rock, Richard Siegler is currently the number one ITC champion from 2019. Uh, he also is one of my partners here on Art of War. We do a lot of Twitch streaming, content creation, full 40K coaching, the whole shebang. Uh, he's also a very pleasant person when you don't live with him. And he is one of the smartest minds in 40K. So we're better to start off with 9th edition, restarting our old format where we cover a list in depth and then go super detailed with the tactics in part two, then with the number one player in ITC right now, Richard Siegler. So, Richard, Mr. Siegs, we're here to discuss your latest Tau creation. What is your latest Tau creation? So um, based on the new points, I had, you know, last year I ran the Triple Tide build, three Riptides, Tons of shield drones, uh, a couple commanders, and mostly as Tau Sept until the Psychic Awakening book came out. I dabbled a bit in the custom Sept Tau builds, um, so there were powerful abilities like extra AP on all your missile weapons, or ignoring the heavy penalty for moving and shooting, and by and large the Triple Tide just got even better with Psychic Awakening. However, the Psychic Awakening book also brought about a brand new playstyle for Tau, something it had been severely lacking in the previous year. And so with this uh, Farsight Enclave's playstyle, it was much more aggressive. You could take multiple commanders per detachment. And you also wanted to focus more around board control. The army overall had a shorter range band, so you needed to get to the center of the table a lot faster. And once you did, um, most of the buffs um, inbuilt into Farsight Enclaves came into play. So I experimented a lot with Farsight Enclaves. I ran was running a six commander build, a ton of breachers, sometimes up to 45. Tons of two-man drone units, and um, by and large, I had a large crisis unit as well. Crisis bodyguards to help protect my characters late game, but also to either provide a ton of firepower with cyclic ion blasters, or to provide very reliable uh, ballistic skill to uh, effectively um, indirect fire through the airburst fragmentation launchers. And I did quite well with this in a lot of the practice streams we played on the Art of War. And I didn't get to play it in an event. I planned on bringing it to Adepticon, and I thought I would have had a pretty good chance there. But with 9th edition heading in, um, the new missions are turning, um, are fundamentally changing how Tau should play. Um, the Tau play style of the Triple Tide, where you kind of pick away at the edges of your opponent, start to whittle them down, and then play the mission, get into the middle of the board, and win in those last couple of turns. That play style really relied on um, six-turn games. With five turns and progressive primaries, so you need to be onto those objectives as quick as possible. I've settled on Farsight Enclaves as the best way to play Tau heading into 9th edition, and I put a little bit of a twist on my Farsight build. So I'm going to just run through the build itself, and then we can talk about some of the pregame choices and um, kind of, you know, why did I pick these choices out of all the options Tau to have. So um, the list is Farsight Enclaves Battalion. I have Commander Farsight in here as the Warlord, uh, Cold Star Commander with three Airburst Fragmentation Launchers and ETS, as well as followed by some Gun Drones. He has, um, he's followed by a Cadre Fireblade with two more shield drones. 
And then I have six units of five breachers, all with pulse pistols, guardian drone, and a shield drone, uh, which form a two-man drone unit as soon as they're deployed. And then I have four, um, four units of gun drones, uh, three are tactical drone squads with four gun drones each. And then I have um, four more gun drones coming down with my three crisis bodyguards, all loaded out with airburst, ATS, and a drone controller to help give my drones plus one ballistic skill. And then I have the big boy himself, the Town R Supremacy Armor, and he comes in at 892 points in 9th edition, which is a, almost a 300-point decrease. So this is where I'm thinking for Farsight Enclaves, and I'm sure you guys have a lot of questions about this. I mean, can I start with a giant, enormous uh, supremacy suit elephant in the room? Can we talk about the Town R? I don't, I, I'm not even sure what that thing does. Can we talk about what it does on the table and why you selected it? Because I think it's a really interesting choice. Definitely. It's a, it's a beast of a, a Tau suit. I had run it uh, several times last season, about three times, and I, I, won, I ended up winning three different RTTs with it. However, it was almost 1,200 points by itself, meaning that the rest of your list was pretty constricted in what you could choose and what you could bring. And so I didn't end up bringing it to any GTs or majors. I know some people did in the ITC, ended up going like, uh, you know, have a winning record, but not end up winning the event. So it was a solid option, just not top tier. Why am I bringing it now? Well, first of all, it's a toughness 8, 30 wound battle suit with a 3-up armor save, 5-up invuln. And of course, because it's a battle suit, it can um, pass off wounds to drones. So any of those anti-tank weapons coming in, like las cannons, easily pass them off to drones. And so you can keep this, a guy, this guy alive for a, a very long time. However, it's his offense that is something that Tau is not very used to because he has ballistic skill 2+, plus, uh, just like a commander, and he has a wide array of guns. He has a macro cannon up top, and macro means um, you get double damage against um, titanic units. So against knights, his top gun is doing 8 damage um, every shot that goes through, and usually it's flat 6 shots, um, high strength, high AP, flat 4 damage. Um, flat eight against Titanic, and then he has two arm cannons, triaxis ion cannons. They can either be strength uh, nine shots at strength seven, AP two, two damage per arm, or uh, strength eight, three d three shots, AP two, flat three damage. Um, so not only is it giving you volume of fire, but it's also giving you high um, multi damage. And then he also has four SMS systems and four burst cannons. So he's even got that little little bit of firepower. Wow, has, those weapon yeah. profiles are really good, right? Because it allows you to customize, because you want a different weapon profile if you're shooting, like, say, a paladin that has three wounds, or shooting versus shooting like a whole bunch of intercessors that have two. You get the perfect tool for each job. That's really powerful, I think. He has ultimate utility. He's pretty much efficient against almost anything, any type of unit in the game. He's got the anti-horde, he's got the anti-tank, and on top of that, because he's a battle suit, he benefits from a whole bunch of buffs in the Tau Codex. You, of course, have marker lights, so he can very easily hit on twos, rerolling ones. For one command point, if your commander gives up shooting um, for that phase, he can reroll all failed wound rolls. So every single shot that he's putting out is rerolling its wound roll. Incredible. Uh, makes him hyper efficient. On top of that, in his data sheet, he is allowed to shoot into combat. Now, this is a ninth edition rule, so vehicles and monsters may shoot into combat, but take a minus one to hit penalty on heavy weapons. The Townar has that in his data sheet itself, and so he get his data sheet rule um, reigns supreme, so he doesn't have to take the minus one to hit penalty. And um, on top of that, he also benefits from some of the new Titanic rules in ninth edition. One in particular um, that he can fall back and shoot now, and that was something that he was missing because he does not have the fly keyword. So um, Titanic units can fall back and shoot. They can fall back and cast psychic powers. That general rulebook rule really helps the town R because you don't have to just stay in combat and shoot at the one thing, maybe a wave serpent that, that's tagging him. Instead, you can now just fall back and shoot and split fire as you normally would because when he shoots into combat, he can't end up shooting the macro cannon, the most devastating of his weapons. And then on top of that, he also benefits from another change to Titanic units in um, Ninth Edition, and that is that um, this is in the uh, Xenos um, Imperial Armor uh, FAQ update. Uh, this model is eligible to declare a charge in a turn which it um, falls back. So it can fall back and charge. On top of that, each time it makes a move, um, a normal move, advances or falls back, it can move across other models, excluding monsters or vehicles, as if they were not there, um, which is incredibly powerful. That means you can even move over fly units that aren't vehicles or monsters. So 
stuff like um, X Harlequin bikes could have very easily moved over the, the game that I played against him. So, oh, speaking of that game, what did the town art do in that game, Nick? Do you remember? Uh, killed basically my entire army by itself. It was awesome. Yeah. Great. He's not bitter or anything. <laughs> not at all. <laughs> so, no. See this, the town art in action, though, you guys have a very good re- battle report on YouTube, right? You want to, want to talk about that for just a second? We do indeed. So if you uh, follow us on Twitch, um, we have that game up under our videos tab, but also uh, it is going to be uploaded permanently on YouTube. So check out Art Award 40K on YouTube, and you can check out um, me playing the town art in this Farsight Enclaves list versus Nick playing his new updated 9th edition Eldar Harlequins list. And we also, if you want to catch these games live, we play them every Friday night at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, as well as every Sunday afternoon at 1 p.m. Eastern Time. So you can check them out live, then they'll be uploaded onto our YouTube channel in case you missed the action. Um, anyways, I think we kind of glossed over one thing with this town art. Well, yes, it's got a super impressive array of weapons, and 9th edition has been very helpful, but essentially granting it pseudo-fly, better fly, um... One thing that we have not discussed is the enormous price drop it's gotten, which is really interesting when you think about how the rest of the game has gone pretty much universally up 10 to 20% in points. Town are going down very significantly. Uh, it's pretty huge. So what does it cost now and what did it cost before? Yeah, absolutely. So it had cost around 1,200 points. I think it was like 1177 in 8th edition. And um, what happened in the 9th edition of Forge World points is that the two arm cannons, the triaxis ion cannons, went down from about like 107 each down to 25 each. Its base cost remained at 750, and then the macro cannon up top went to zero points. Uh, SMS and burst cannons remained the same. So effectively, it's uh, 892 points with this uh, weapon loadout, and that is cheaper than three riptides. Um, and this is a lot more effective than three riptides because once again, you can. Not only is it Ballistic Skill 2 and doesn't require any Marker Light support, but it also, on top of that, um, is incredibly powerful with Toughness 8 natively, and it gets access to Command Node, like Riptides, but it's a lot more efficient to reroll fail wound rolls on a single big model with all these guns, rather than uh, a single Riptide. Now, is there any worry that the only 5-up invul is maybe not enough? Um, or do you think you have enough drones to kind of keep it in the game? So that's a great question. Um, ultimately, it, it's not quite as in, you know natively durable. Uh, toughness 8 does help it a lot, but it doesn't have a 2-up armor like the Riptide, and it can't get to a 3-up invuln. Um, it also doesn't have easy access to Feel No Pain um, in a Farsight Enclaves build, because Farsight Enclaves cannot take an Ethereal. You'd have to take a mixed detachment, which means you spend CP to get another detachment. Then the units in there that support the Ethereal um, will not benefit from Septenance. So there are real limitations to try and getting him a, a six of Fiona Pain. So he's not quite as durable, but really because of how much damage he puts out over the course of a game, certainly those first two turns, he can do crippling damage and just put your opponent completely on the back foot. That means ultimately, um, if you can keep him alive for those first two turns with the drones, generally he's okay from there on out. And you can also spend one command point to let him act at full profile as well as he starts to get wounded. Yeah, he is is quite the menace. Uh, are you at all concerned? This is more philosophical about Tau. Are you concerned that because Riptides and Crisis Suits and basically the fly keyboard is not what it used to be, you if you get engaged in close combat, that just sucks. You can't fall back and shoot. Riptides can shoot into combat, but they suffer that minus one. You really can't get much Mark Light support onto whatever you're shooting at if it's in close combat, so it's just fives, maybe re-rolling ones, and then Crisis Suits just stink at it. So... If the town R is just one point's change away from becoming obsolete, as a lot of the things in this game tend to become, are you concerned at all that Tau doesn't have another identity past the town R, or is this just like where your eggs are in this basket? No, so that is a great question overall. Um, out of all the changes in ninth edition, it's the missions, the progressive primary in five turns, as well as the no more access to fall back and shoot. Um, on our fly units, our powerful battle suits like the Commander, the Crisis suits, uh, the Riptides. Overall, those are the biggest, um, you know, most punishing factors in Ninth Edition towards Tau. Um, I don't even. I think the points are okay if we still had access to some of those things, and I would easily trade um, the Overwatch that we continue to have from Eighth Edition for uh, Fall Back and Shoot. Now, I still think overall that you can make the Farsight Enclaves build work without a Townar. Um, you can still use a three to nine man unit of crisis bodyguards. 
fill out your commanders and then just have a ton of obsec durable MSU bodies on the objectives. I think that is another viable playstyle for Tau. It's just probably not the most fun playstyle because ultimately you're throwing away your army onto objectives and you know it's not like breachers are invincible. They will die over time. Um, essentially, you're going to have very little left at the end of the game. You're just throwing your army onto objectives and hoping that they last there to get you the points that you need to come ahead on those first three turns. And by that point, um, because it's a five-turn game, you've gained enough of an advantage usually uh, that you can finish out the game a couple points ahead. Let's be honest. You can't have more fun than moving that town out alone and making PPU noises while you're blowing up your opponent's army, right? Like That's got to be super, super fun and engaging. Also, it completely towers over the battlefield. It's so much bigger than something like a Knight Castellan um, that you know it's so imposing on the battlefield that you can really feel the damage that it's doing. Yeah, you really can. It's so fun and interactive. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, cool. So let's talk about the rest of your list and why it's there. How, why you chose this to be the support for your ridiculous town tower. What? Uh, remind me again, just what is the rest of the army? So we have two commanders, a fire blade, six units of breachers uh, with their with their guardian and shield drones. I have um, four different units of gun drones, crisis bodyguard unit, and that is pretty much it. Okay, and what what is the kind of idea behind everything else you're taking? List? It seems like you got a lot of MSU stuff, so which is very good in ninth edition missions. Fair bit of obsec and infantry, which is great for your things like plant raise the banners and just holding objectives. Um, What's the thought process here? Yeah, so fundamentally, this type of playstyle is very much based around board control, but it's not the, the type where I'm just going to sit in the middle of the board and just be hyper durable like Death Guard. Instead, it's a type of uh, board control where you are, you're able to bring things in from reserve on all sorts of different angles, pick your opponent off of objectives, and then take over. Um, this is very much designed around the ninth edition terrain format, which is supposed to be four large obscuring ruins. Um, two in the middle and one in each deployment zone, as well as some forests and craters, um, maybe some containers, um, etc. And so in that level of terrain density, you know, that's that's more terrain than most 8th edition tables had, and it's on a smaller table size. It's a lot of terrain there. So um, what I'm trying to do here is use that type of terrain to my advantage. The Townar is the midfield bully unit. Um, he's going to follow, He's going to have the commanders and the breachers follow him around and help protect his flanks. But by and large, I'm going to bring a significant portion of my army in to pick my opponent off the objectives um, that are on the outskirts of the, the table and then take them over and get points and secondaries like Line Breaker or um, uh, any of the other ones that require you being in your opponent's deployment zone. Right, that makes a lot of sense. Especially because you have airbursts on those crisis suits to help you kind of, I guess the strategy to fight against this town or from your opponent's perspective is to hide behind the walls because obscuring terrain is still, doesn't matter that you're 50 feet tall, it's still obscuring. So uh, having that 16 SMS shots of BS2 from the the big dude, having your airburst commander and your airburst crisis suits, that's a great way of kind of, if your opponent's hiding, at least you're still doing something. Is that the idea there? Definitely. So this is kind of, the main way you play against armies that just have tons of guns and don't have a lot of melee or counter assault is you hide from the firepower as long as possible and you try and take away shooting phases from them. If you can take away their first like one or two shooting phases and then the, your opponent, say your tower opponent, can only deal with your full army in three turns, that's a really big advantage for you, especially if you're going second and have bottom of the turn there. So um, how do I counteract this as the tower player? Well, I need to be able to get those angles. So coming in from reserve, and just because I have so much firepower in reserve, a gun drone by himself puts out four shots. If he's in half range near a fire blade, he's going to put out six shots. Um, that's a lot of firepower if I'm bringing down, you know, something like 16 to 20 gun drones. Um, on top of that, I have the airburst on the um, bodyguards, and airburst became a blast weapon in 9th edition. So if you have six, or, six to ten models, I get minimum three shots. If you have more than ten models in the unit, I get maximum number of shots on those weapons. That is incredibly powerful. In addition, because I'm spending one CP for veteran Kadra pregame on the Crisis Bodyguards, they go to Ballistic Skill 3+, Weapon Skill 4+, and with two command points, I can easily get them to hitting on twos, rerolling ones, uh, with Countess having five marker lights, or if they're coming in from reserve, plus one to hit um, from drop zone clear from the Farsight Enclave Stratagem. So this is very efficient indirect fire, and so if my opponent's hot trying to hide from me, not only am I forcing them to screen with the firepower that's coming in from reserve, uh, allowing the town to shoot at more things than he should be able to if you're trying to hide, 
But in addition, um, even if you're going to put maybe like a couple characters or a small durable unit behind a, behind a ruin, something like a Dire Avenger squad, I'm going to have the firepower to just easily pick them away. Um, the other thing I'll mention about the strategy behind this list is because the Townar is your main firepower, he's the main thing that's doing damage, he only gets to interact in your shooting phase with one instance of the game. Whatever the game state is when he's declaring all his shots, that's the only thing he can interact with for that shooting phase. Um, which means you need other things that can do damage in your list, and especially damage that can split fire. Because if the Townar ends up leaving like one or two models all over the place, maybe, you know, running 60 Dire Avengers like Nick or something, and here's a whole bunch of, you know, two or three man Dire Avengers, I don't want them just running around and still getting Nick points. I need to be able to split fire efficiently against them. Or maybe I finished off the Dire Avengers and there's a couple characters behind them now. Townar can, can't interact with them um, unless he can make a charge. but um, how am I going to deal with them? Well, here's this other firepower that I can do um, damage to those types of characters. That's a great point. I think that's a mistake a lot of people make when building these kinds of all-in lists with like one super unit that does all the work. It, it's only one unit, like especially like if it's a melee unit too. Fight twice isn't what it used to be. You have to engage all the things, and that's your only instance of it. So same thing with your town art. If there's a screen and a character behind the screen, or a transport and then a squad inside the transport. You can't kill both. It's just not possible. You need a variety of shots to do that. To kind of shift gears for a second, one thing that struck me a lot in our game was your Townar has a ridiculous move characteristic of 16 that can move over everything, as you said. You played that thing very aggressively in our match on Twitch, which is now on YouTube if you want to check it out, everyone. Is that how you think the Townar needs to play, or do you want to be? was that just kind of how I forced you to play and you wanted to be more defensive? I believe that is fundamentally how he needs to be played uh, in ninth edition, and that's for a couple reasons. Uh, first of all, like we've mentioned, if your opponent is hiding behind obscuring terrain, obscuring terrain has a, has an actual limitation for models with eighteen or more, more wounds. I can't actually see over that terrain like I would in eighth edition and just be able to shoot tanks or you know infantry behind it. Instead, I have to get true line of sight to those units, or I have to walk physically up to the terrain piece. And then once I am touching it, if there are doors or windows, I can draw a line of sight through them, or I can actually draw a line of sight from the, my top guns. Because he's so tall, once you get up to a terrain feature, usually the guns reach over enough that you can now draw a line of sight into whatever's in the ruin. So I think fundamentally, in order to counteract that defensive style that people will want to try and do against the Townar, I think you need to play him aggressively. And so you need to support him with enough bodies and enough things that can come into reserve and not be whittled down by your, your opponent. Um, so they come in at max efficiency. I think that's fundamentally key to playing the Townar, and I think it's a very aggressive unit. Um, it's a midfield bully. You want to be able to shoot the things behind the front layer of your opponent's army, and then use the Townar aggressively, get into combat, and tag them. Um, prevent your opponent from shooting, or limit his efficiency, say it's like a tank commander. Um, maybe you can't finish him off, you don't have enough guns. Uh, maybe you want to leave the Punisher commander and kill the you know battle cannon and the, the demolisher cannons. And so you don't have enough firepower to finish this guy off. Well, what am I going to do? I'm going to charge him, get into combat, and then if he wants to um, shoot into the Townar, uh, go ahead. Um, I, won't I won't end up taking too much damage um, because of my toughness 8 against that. So I think you need to not only kill a bunch of things in your turn and be aggressive in that sort, but also use him as a melee bully to tag your opponent's shooting and prevent him from falling back and shooting. Use the Tau disadvantage to your advantage. Wow, a 16-inch movement? That gives you, because if you move him to the center of the board, turn one, that gives you so many angles because you're, you're moving far enough to where it's going to be very hard to hide from that thing. And you're going to be able to pick on what you want, it seems like, uh, in most board setups, right? Yeah, you have, to use the, you have to use his movement characteristic to get around those terrain pieces to see the different objectives on the battlefield. So on six objectives, if there's two big obscuring ruins on the, uh, in the middle of the table, you need to be able to get around them to the other side of those objectives and start shooting there. So I think you really need to use him aggressively. And this is the main reason why I brought, I brought a Commander Farsight. Seems like an odd choice. Went up 20 points from 110 to 130. Um, and so why exactly am I taking him? Well, he gives me access to double Monka. So Monka is an ability I declare at the start of my turn. Um, all the units within six of him get to advance and shoot and then shoot, um, and they shoot as if they didn't move that turn. So effectively, they ignore the advance penalty, um, and they get to advance and fire heavy weapons uh, with no penalty. So something like the Townar being able to go up to 22 inches, that's, 
that's not bad. He can go up to 22 inches, then you bring your reserves in around him. So now 20 drones are surrounding him, uh, while the rest of your army fills up um, kind of your own deployment zone. Very powerful. I just threw up in my mouth. I'm not even this, kidding. This is how it felt to play against a John. But, <laughs> <laughs> I, I think another thing that kind of we glossed over as well with Farsight, he does seem like an odd choice. I'm glad you brought him up. Uh, double Monka is tremendous for this kind of army, like you said. But also, one of your commanders is literally every single turn of the game going to forfeit shooting to use command and control nodes. So there's no point in taking like a cyclic ion commander or a classic missile cold star or something like that because he's not shooting anyway. Just take Farsight, who is actually moderately combat capable, at least for Tau, and gets you that double Monka, so he's providing value to your army while getting you style points, and your Tau is rerolling to end anyway. Definitely. Um, the other reason is when you take him with the Farsight Enclave's Warlord trait, which is the one he has to take, it not only gives you uh, rerolls to hit in melee, um, and Farsight gives a reroll ones to hit in melee overall, so he helps the Taunar there, making him slightly more efficient in melee. And didn't really mention that, but he is uh, strength 8, AP 2, 1 damage, and has 15 uh, stomp attacks. Only hit on 4s, but with Farsight rerolling 1s, it's not neg negligible damage. He can you know finish off little horde units or, or even a character like Azurman. Um, Nick? Got to throw that one in there, didn't you? <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, in addition, uh, Farsight's Warlord trait also gets him a 6-inch heroic intervention which is actually a really, really powerful rule in ninth edition on these progressive objectives. Being able to heroically intervene um, aggressively to uh, pick somebody off um, with your, your own melee attacks and finish their unit off so that you end up controlling it. Maybe it's like a five-man Harlequin unit and I only have two breachers left sitting on the objective. Here comes Farsight. He heroics in, um, kills enough of them that I end up controlling the objective. Um, and deny him. Well, not just that, something that literally happened in our game. This is more of a high-level technique, but it's something that if you can master, you're gonna be it's gonna be very powerful for you. Having an intervention in this army is really powerful because it can stop your opponent's pylons and consolidates from working the way they want. So let me explain that for a second. Mm -hmm. Against Tau, one of the best tactics you can employ is trapping them in close combat. The concept of tri-pointing is harder to pull off, but it still exists. This list has a lot of breachers and a, a Firesight Marksman, or a Cadre Fireblade, rather. Just lots of units that are small and significant and wrappable. So while, yes, they have Desperate Breakout, which is a 2CP stratagem to leave, if you can pull off a wrap on two different units, it doesn't matter. So one way that you can do that is by very meticulously placing your models so that all of your pylons and consolidates are calculated so they can move in closer to this one, closer to that one, and end up with two different models from two different units tri-pointed. They can only use Desperate Breakout once, and you're good to go. Where that 6-inch Corona Convention comes in very subtly but very powerfully is you can use that to screw up your opponent's pylon and consolidation plans by making him go a different direction than he wants to by making Farsight closer than the Fire Warriors he's trying to wrap, maybe potentially basing models so they can't pylon and consolidate at all, really messing up those kind of last-ditch attempts to, to screw over the Tau faction. Yeah, and Nick is actually speaking from experience. He did end up going for the double wrap on my Fireblade and two Breachers that were on an objective so that at least the bikes survive that turn and then can pop out and do more damage the following turn. Um, the problem there was I ended up heroicing with um, Farsight and basing his two bikes that wanted to get around the Fireblade. And that ended up meaning he could only wrap the Breachers and then I spent the two CP to just get them out of there. Damn, these meddling kids. <laughs> but yeah, that, it's, it's a great trick and it's a great utility tool. Let's talk about breachers for a second, right? Because that, that is obviously the troop choice that you've chosen. Do you want to go through the reasons for that? Because I think you have some pretty good ones for using them. Yeah, absolutely. So um, Nick, Nick was a doubter on the breachers for a while. He even in the last game he played as Tau, ended up taking a ton of fire warriors. Uh, he wrote pulse carbines on the list, but I knew he meant uh, pulse rifles. But um, most people end up going for that extra range on their Tau weapons. However, um, Breachers have much shorter range. They have 15-inch range on their max profile, which is strength 4, no AP, 1 damage. As you get closer, their gun gets more powerful. So uh, within 10 inches, strength 5, AP, 1, 1 damage. And then, of course, you have strength 6, AP, 2, 1 damage within um, 5 inches. And, of course, this synergizes very well with the Foresight Enclave's uh, trait, which is reroll 1s to wound uh, when your opponent is within 6 inches of you uh, for shooting. And then now with Psychic Winging, Farsight Enclave's detachments also reroll ones to hit if enemy units are within 12. So the Breachers are very natively powerful the closer your opponent is to you. Additionally, uh, with the changes, they became 9 points instead of 7 in 9th edition. 
but pulse pistols became zero points and pulse pistols um synergize extremely well with breachers not only is the um does it synergize well with the close range profile um, because you want to get closer to your opponent but if you end up tagging a breacher squad say nick sends his harlequin troop unit to touch a five-man breacher squad what would happen is in my turn now i can't fall back and shoot that's perfectly fine instead i'm going to spend one command point and turn my pulse blasters those um you know the, their native gun into a pistol and so instead of assault two it is pistol two and that means you can fire all your pistol weapons at the same time. So you get to fire two pistol shots at strain six, AP two, one damage, rerolling one's hit and one's to wound. And then you also get a pistol shot at strain five, no AP one damage. So each squad is now putting out 15 shots into the thing that just tagged them. It's a great way to not only get out of wraps, but punish your opponent for tagging you because you can still put effective firepower into him. So I love breachers. Um, on top of that, when they take the Guardian Drone, uh, any of the infantry can take a Guardian, any of the uh, troop choices can take a Guardian Drone, but um, Strike uh, strike, um, strike Fire Warriors only get a 6-up invuln from the Guardian Drone. The Breachers get a 5-up invuln, which is a huge, huge difference, and it also works in combat. So makes them very durable from both shooting and combat, and then of course I take the Shield Drone there, just to force my opponent to um, split fire inefficiently against these two drones more firepower than they want into just two drones the guardian drone what's the range on its aura uh, three inches oh so you've got to be packed pretty tight then around those breachers yeah so i end up taking six of them so it's actually quite easy to get at least one guardian drone within range of each of different squads and i also take them i take so many so that it's um five redundancy in the list so it's not just my opponent kills one or two drone squads and then i don't have the five up invuln anymore they have to get through six two-man drone units, and then the breachers won't have a five-up invuln. But at that point, why not just start shooting at the breachers anyway? Because that's the opsec that's uh, controlling these objectives. It's also the the guardian drone is accompanied by a shield drone. If anyone has ever tried to shoot a shield drone, it's infuriating. So you're better off just shooting the opsec in the first place. This episode is brought to you by HP Instant Ink. No one is reading your mind, but HP Instant Ink knows when your printer is running low and sends you new cartridges, so you never have to think about ink. Save up to 50%. You'll pay less than $5 a month for ink and never run out again. Find out if your printer is eligible and enroll today at hpinstantink.com. Conditions apply. For details, visit hp.com slash Spotify. Just letting him have, just letting him roll the five ups. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, it's also toughness four units instead of toughness three. So unless you have a specific weapon profile, it's pretty much more efficient to at least shoot anti-infantry weapons at the breachers. But why why breachers over strikes? Now I understand in close combat when you get tagged, it's you have some play there, but it you can always just leave for two command points now, and it's harder to wrap than ever. And we just explain how heroic intervention can also get you out of wraps. And then just blast in the face with your town R, as one does. Why are you going out of your way to give yourself some combat punch with these shorter range weapons instead of taking like pulse rifles, which can shoot something at a longer range? There's really been, in the last couple months, um, tail end of 8th edition, heading into ninth edition, there's been a real arms race in terms of armor penetration characteristic. Fundamentally, the, the strike... Um, Fire Warriors that have Strength 5, no AP, 1 damage. That just doesn't cut it against a lot of the stuff in the meta, especially as more vehicles and monsters are coming in. So if I'm going to be in the midfield objectives anyway to try and get those progressive primary points, I might as well run the weapons that are actually do more damage as I get closer to my opponent um, because of their higher AP characteristic and strength characteristics. So um, it's the 5-up invuln from the Guardian Drone rather than a 6-up invuln, and it's the efficiency of their Pulse Blasters because you want to be closer to your opponent. And once again, because I'm playing the town aggressively, I'm pretty much move advancing all of my um, creatures every turn. And the Pulse Blaster is an assault weapon, unlike the Pulse Rifle, which is a rapid-fire weapon. Makes a lot of sense. Yeah, it's very counterintuitive. Usually when people think of Tau, they think of Gunline sitting in the backfield. I know you've always been a pioneer of the more mobile Tau style, but it's really interesting to see that carry through your choice, even down to your just basic troop squads. Interesting. So also, I mean, I think some things that I've noticed, and you guys can tell me if maybe I'm all wet on this, but with ninth edition, the smaller board size, the shorter game length, only five turns, the way the missions are designed, 
Like you move into the center of the board way sooner. So those shorter range guns don't get punished near as much as they did in previous editions, right? So if you had like 18 inch guns, your opponent might play keep away from you for like two or maybe even three turns, right? Making it hard for you to line up shots. But if they do that, they just automatically lose the mission now. So they can't like your 20, like 24 inches seems to be a fine gun range now where it used to feel really short in eighth edition to me. Yeah, definitely. The, that ITC mentality of I'm going to kill one thing and you know hold this hold this objective and just deny you the kill. Uh, maybe you'll get hold more, but ultimately on the um, primary, I'll end up going up three to three to two each turn, and I'll eventually just win in a close game. That type of mentality just doesn't work in ninth edition because if you're not getting onto the progressive primary early, um, if you start getting zero or five point turns on your primary you are going to get completely outscored. And that's happened a couple of times in the practice games that we played. Um, if you start, if you have two bad turns, there's very little recovery recovery time in this five-turn game and from the amount of points that are available. It's almost the opposite experience of ITC where you can throw your army into the trash can to just score 40 out of 45 points and knock your opponent down like 5-5-5 five, five, five on his primaries. And if you go into turn 5 at 45, your opponent goes into turn 5 at 15, uh, for total points scored on primary, you're uh, doesn't matter if you have nothing left. You're probably in good spot. Um, to that end, though, what do you think? How do you think this army plays the missions overall? And then, how, what kind of secondaries are you looking to take with it? Yeah, definitely. So I think it plays the mission very well um, because once again, it's durable enough to sit in the middle of the table, um, and it has so many small different units that it's really inefficient. Are you going to actually put your firepower into the townar? It might take you two turns to kill it, um, at which point all the rest of my stuff is scoring me tons of points, and then now you only have three turns, maybe only two turns left to deal with the rest of my army. Um, are you willing to make that trade? Maybe the town are just, I roll well, or I, I, I do really well in the pass-offs, and it doesn't take as much damage as you expected. Uh-oh, um, now you, you only have um, three or two turns to deal with them. So I think the army offers a lot of hard choices, and I am forcing those choices by being into the center of the table as quick as possible. Um, I think it plays the mission excellently because it has so much, so many obsec bodies. And if my opponent isn't dealing with those breachers, I'm usually controlling the objectives over them. And I can move advance them onto my opponent's objectives just to start denying him progressive primary points. So I think it plays the mission very well for the secondaries. Uh, the secondaries are actually pretty tough. However, this build tends to play um, some of them uh, quite a bit easier. And in particular, while we stand, we fight, which is um, you pick your three most expensive models in the army, and if they end up surviving the game, you get five points for each one that survives. So the triple tide build, um, because the riptides are the three most expensive units, you can't really rely on them um, surviving an entire game against most opponents, because even in 8th um, edition, you were generally out of drones by the first two or three turns, and then the rip you'd maybe lose one or two riptides against most opponents. Getting five points out of a secondary doesn't really feel good, although getting max is, is a lot harder in ninth edition. But however, this list, um, it's actually quite a bit easier because it's the Talonar and then the two commanders. And generally, the two commanders should very rarely ever be dying. So at minimum, you're getting 10 points. And if your opponent ends up putting all his firepower into the Talonar to try and kill it over the first two, three turns, you probably ended up just dominating the progressive primary. And so that secondary, losing those five points on the secondary isn't a big deal. So it's a trade-off I'm willing to take with this type of list. On top of that, um, other secondaries I really like, Linebreaker. This army has a ton of small units um, that can just go into my opponent's deployment zone and not really care. I'll score them at the end of my turn. And it's one of those few secondaries that you actually get, I believe, four points out of it. So I only need to do it three or four times. So three times I get 12 points, four times I get the max. That's kind of where you want to live. So with those two secondaries alone, I'm usually going into a lot of matchups with immediate advantage. And then I tend to pick one of the kill secondaries, something like Assassinate if my opponent has a lot of characters, maybe the vehicle one, um, bring it down. Uh, maybe the, if they have Titanic units, I'm definitely picking, picking Titan Hunters. So something like that. That's usually my kind of go-to. I think Raise the Banners is also pretty decent for this list. I was just going to say that with all the breachers, raise the banner seems like a no-brainer. And I think raise the banners is one of those, if you don't know which one to take, it's the one you take. because you can. Yeah, it, it does feel like that. It's, it's one that you probably never max out unless you're absolutely just trashing your opponent, but you'll always get a decent score out of it. Yeah. And that secondary is, um, if you have an infantry unit, um, at the end of your movement phase, it can give up, you know, it can do an action. 
And by doing so, for each objective that you have an infantry unit do this on, you get a point at the start of your next command phase, um, and for each turn that the banner continues remaining on that objective. And um, although you can only do it when your opponent doesn't have units on the objective, generally um, you're able to shoot them off in your first turn and then start getting it um, pretty easily after that. At the very least, you're getting the two objectives closest to your deployment zone. And then um, if you end up getting a third objective, that's fine. Um, that, it, that's great. but. Um, not something mandatory, because at the end of the day, if you end up getting two objectives and you hold it for four turns, say eight points, and then it also has an end game component. So if the banners are still existing, um, at the end of the game, you get two more. So getting 10 points out of that secondary for just holding the two objectives closest to your deployment zone, that's a very reasonable secondary. Um, so I think that's kind of where the tal list is living. Um, these secondaries, there's a lot of tough choices in there. And I think those kind of four or so are the ones you're pretty much almost always going to stick with, regardless of list. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense to me. Also, to your point about Linebreaker you mentioned, Linebreaker is one where I don't think everyone should always go for it. Your opponent does have a, a say in whether or not you can achieve Linebreaker. If your plan is to deep strike into it, he could screen out his old deployment zone or something and keep you at it for a while. However, in Richard's list, it's one of those catch-22s. You can screen him out, rob him of those Linebreaker points, but then the Talonar probably just has line of sight to you, and then you're dead. Yeah, the town or, or my reserves that are coming in. So what I want with this list is my opponent to spread over different parts of the battlefield, try and screen out my reserves. And in that case, not only does the town or get to fire each turn, but eventually the um, gun drones and the crisis suits come in, clear at least one table quarter of your stuff. The town or focuses on a different quarter. And now I'm controlling probably three uh, out of four quarters of the board. And once again, just dominating the mission. I'm trying to split up my opponent. And so if they want to try and screen me out from something like Linebreaker, not only am I shooting at them, but they're also spreading themselves very thin. And usually you can't deal with the town R if you're split all over the place. You really need to concentrate on it if you want to deal with it. Uh, certainly with things like, you know, extensive move blocking, which is a lot uh, tougher now, but also just concentrating your firepower. Okay, so let me let me see. Let me take a swag at the overall strategy of your list. Tell me how close I am, because I've been paying attention to what you're saying. So basically... Can you just say that again real quick? Take a swag? Yeah, a swag, a swipe. A, guess. a swing, a swing is in swing a baseball bat to see if I hit something. Not, not yeah. swag as in swagger. John, I'm old. Get over it. <laughs> um, so it sounds to me like basically, from a ninth edition mission standpoint, you're moving into the center of the board to get fire lanes um, for your town art, and you're giving your your opponent kind of a poison choice. They don't really have good choices, so their options are blow up all of your breachers so that to keep you off of objectives right um so you don't score a bunch on the primary but in order for them to do that they kind of got to move out and take shots and then your town R just eats whatever they have and if the town R spends five turns shooting into your army that's a disaster like that tables a lot of people while you're still moving to the center of the board and still playing aggressively for the scenario their other option is to put the shots into the town R, which you're fine with because you've got a bunch of drones or whatever in which case you're absolutely covering the board with obsec and scoring a lot on primary while this town hour because it's toughness eight and 30 wounds with a decent invul and a bunch of shield drones and regular drones it's going to soak a lot of firepower for a couple turns uh, and then by the time your opponent gets to move their guns to the obsec stuff well it's it's already too late like you know maybe it's turn three before they start taking shots at them or turn four in an uh, even worse scenario um, and then they just lose because you've you've owned the primary. Is that sort of the list design that it's going for? Yeah, absolutely. Because the town R is so all-purpose, it can do everything. It has incredible shooting. It's incredibly fast. It has a large base size, so it, um, you can if you put it at the center of an objective, your opponent has to actually get into combat to start contesting that objective. And it's also decent in combat. Not amazing. Could be better, but it's fine. Um, and it can certainly whittle down units. Um, so ultimately. If you're not dealing with it, um, or if, say, for instance, the terrain in the middle is very good and I can actually do a good job of hiding a lot of my uh, smaller units over time, at the end of the day, I'm going to have most of my army alive uh, by the end of the game and have pretty much tabled my opponent. Um, this is kind of how Tau has played over 8th edition as well, is here's some really durable units that either, what are you going to deal with, 40 shield drones, 50 shield drones? You're going to shoot at them for a first couple turns and then try and deal with some riptides while commanders behind them are firing at you. Or are you trying to deal with ignore AP 1 and 2, 
uh, crisis unit with two up armor save um, and four up invuln um, on one of the guys who's just going to tank as much firepower as possible. Also, I have shield drones to pass off to. Like, what are you gonna? What damage are you gonna actually do to this this list besides kill some board control? Um, it's that same type of tau philosophy, except this tau this tau list um, hits a lot harder because the townar is just a machine at picking up units. Um, it's gonna pick up like three four units a turn depending on what it is. So um, I think this type of list, you know, plays to the greatest strengths of tau as a faction in denying your opponent good choices in target priority. Um, and in trying to take the board, and ends up um, just coming ahead out on the mission uh, because I have better board control than a lot of other tau lists. We also kind of chatted about it today on our daily paint stream, which is also on our Twitch channel. Um, I was I was complaining about tau as I do, and basically what I was saying is tau throughout the entire DVD edition, when they're being run successfully, is an army that you can't stop it from shooting you. The Riptide version shoots for six turns because it just got drones on drones on drones, and it's fairly durable. So you just you take the brunt of the army for six turns and you just can't survive it for that long. Similarly, the Farsad Enclaves list that Richard brought up in the beginning of it, uh, you can't engage it or anything to shut it up. It's just a giant unit of crises. You can't even hide from it anymore because it was airburst to shoot through walls. Just watch into the middle, never stop shooting you. The Townar is the continuation of that. You can't run Riptides anymore. You can't, I mean, you could, don't get me wrong, but Riptides have that, don't have that strength anymore. You can engage them. And then they, they have to shoot what's right in front of them. They can't fall back and shoot. Your opponent can dictate what you're shooting at. It's inefficient with no marker lights. Crisis suits, same thing. They can't fall back and shoot. They can't shoot into combat. Like There's just no play there from the Tau player's perspective as far as shooting for six turns. That's not in their control anymore. With the Town art, it goes back to their control. They do shoot for now five turns, but that's how Tau need to win. Yeah, definitely. I mean, that, this is why I've ended up going with the Town R. Uh, because it is putting a lot of eggs in a single basket, but with the basket being so efficient as the Townar is, um, I think for now, with you know, since it's going to probably remain at this points cost until we get that Forge World update, um, and maybe even after that, I think this is probably the best way, the most efficient way to run a Tau list, um, because there's very few lists in the game that are going to be able to deal with it. I think, um, and we'll, we'll talk about matchups uh, pretty soon, but. I think Admac is one of the few armies that has a lot of tools to deal with it. Yeah, it's interesting because also people shouldn't be afraid to play it because the Forge World book is probably already written and off to the printer. So whatever its points is going to be, it's going to be. So take it out of the closet, dust it off, and go out there and crush people's souls with it because it sounds make, like that's what's going to happen. Sad. You will make me very sad. <laughs> awesome. Well, John, do you have any other questions you want to ask Mr. Seeks? While we have um, you? Last question. Uh, do you prefer to go first or second in the new mission pack with this list? I think you can do either, but I tend to prefer going first. Um, and I'm okay with losing a shooting phase if my opponent wants to just hide, just so I can get out into the middle of the table early. And then by the second turn, with my movement characteristic and with my reserves coming in, I should be able to not only get line of sight and angles on my opponent in his backfield, but I can also get to his ruin and start shooting whatever's inside of it. So I tend to prefer going first with this list, and it's really to set me up for a turn two um, damage dealing while I control the middle of the board. Um, but I don't think it, it really minds going second. It's perfectly fine, uh, because once again, the town are so fast, it can get into the middle of the table pretty quickly. Um, but that's kind of how I see it. Makes perfect sense to me. Yeah, I, I, things I didn't expect us to be talking about tonight. The Town Hour is one of them. I knew that you had played it on the stream, but I thought it was kind of a meme or you were just trolling or just having fun. I didn't realize that this was like a big boy, I'm being serious about winning this game sort of list, which is really cool. I think that's a, a good sign for ninth uh, edition, right? We have something that we would you would never have expected to talk about, right? Yeah, something well, different, something new. And, uh, I did play it down a bit uh, just for Nick. Um, you know, I wanted him to experience his full power, but, uh, you, you hey, uh what happened in that game? Oh, or maybe we don't want to spoil it for the listeners, but the listeners probably picked up that it's triggering Nick every time we bring it up. So it's worth watching it just for that. I'm going to be there. triggered for a while. <laughs> there were some, there were some epic psychic uh, power failures. There was also an Azurman versus Townar duel in combat. Um, so if you're interested in watching uh, 40k battle reports, definitely check it out on youtube absolutely it's mr siegs i know you're part of the art of war brand but where can people find you 
You can find me at, of course, uh, theartofwar40k.com. I am one of the coaches uh, for the Art of War team. I also uh, put out a ton of content with um, Art of War on Twitch. We do the daily paint streams, 3 p.m. Eastern time. And then that is uh, twitch.tv slash AOW40k. And then we also have regular games. I'm always playing factions like Tau. Uh, I've been playing Custodes, Admech. Um, I'm going to be playing some Death Watch, Blood Angels. Um, so I'm going to be playing a whole bunch of different factions, but I'm still going to be playing Tau on stream. So if you're interested in this type of content, please check us out. Um, our games are Friday, 6 p.m. Eastern time and Sunday at 1 p.m. Eastern time. Okay. I'm going to park this bus. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in to episode one, where we talked about the strategy of the Taunar, uh, what is it called? The Supremacy Suit? Pretty cool name. Yeah. Taunar very, very cool Army, name. Yeah. Uh, if you're a patron, you can go ahead and join us in episode two, where we'll start talking about actual matchups. And this will be the first time that we've done this for ninth edition. But I think it's interesting because of all the practice you guys have been doing, you've seen a lot of what potentially will be very strong at the beginning of the edition, right? Like, obviously, it's going to change as people adjust. Um, so I think that's going to be a really, really helpful discussion. For those of you that haven't signed up for the Patreon, I'm going to encourage you to do so because uh, just so everyone knows, We've already put together a schedule. We're going to be covering every single faction, uh, at least most of them, um, with a pretty well-known player with where they're going to start with the ninth edition and talk about sort of where they expect the meta to be and how they would approach each of those matchups. So you're getting in the minds of a lot of great players. Uh, it'll be a great, great, great primer for getting into ninth edition uh, competitive play. Hopefully you found us all on the Frontline Gaming Network. If not, there's a lot of great podcasts that are... Uh, on that network. And I think we have a new one coming soon called the art of war down under from Adam Camilleri and friends. Um, so, you know, sign up there and hopefully we'll see you guys all on part two, where we get deep into the details of optimal play. Okay. And you've now made it to the end of the show. And as you have probably heard, we are running a huge contest giveaway where you can win a thousand dollar shopping spree of GW products from frontline gaming, along with, a host of other prizes. And one of the ways that you can get multiple entries into this contest is by inputting a code word from this podcast. And that code word is strategy. So if you enter the word strategy, you're going to get five bonus entries over at 40kprizes.com. Make sure you check it out. Like the strategy discussion you heard? Want to hear more about the tactics of this list? Sign up for our Patreon at AOW40K.com, where we go deep into details of optimal play. This has been Art of War, a strategy and tactics podcast for Warhammer 40K. Hosted by Nick Nanavati and John Damaris. Produced by Seamus Ronan. Find us at AOW40K.com. And of course, connect, connect on Facebook. Just look for AOW40K. 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 Till next time.